So I want to welcome, welcome you, welcome really all of us to this uh, day exploring the nature of wise speech. It really is uh, such a fundamental area of our lives and our practice, and I think it's actually a key to how mindfulness and spirituality, if we use that word, really can develop in our everyday lives. You know, many people try to meditate, be mindful. Some people struggle trying to find a half an hour for meditation or mindfulness. If you have your speech practice together, all of a sudden you have five to ten hours a day of intensive spiritual practice. Got it? <laughs> okay, so as a, it's, uh, so that's the part of my uh, aspiration is to excite you about the possibilities of, of taking speech practice more intentionally as an area of both exploration and development. And what I'll be offering here are some foundational perspectives and practices and tools in the morning to help us with uh, have a sense of how we might practice. And in the afternoon, I'll be focusing more specifically on how we work with skillful speech in challenging her difficult circumstances. Uh, and towards that end, I'll be bringing in some further tools and perspectives. I'll be uh, particularly bringing in some perspectives which can really be very useful when there are difficult circumstances. I'll be integrating some of the different uh, ways of working with speech practice that I and some of my colleagues have been developing over quite some time, probably 15 years or so. My own uh, personal background uh, is in, probably from the, near the beginning, was in wanting to make this practice of mindfulness be alive in the kind of lives that we have in this culture, which are not typically those of full-time meditators. They're lives in which we have families, we have partners, we have work, we have uh, social engagement, we have community engagement, and so forth. And in all of those contexts, speech plays a very, very large role. How can we be skillful and wise with our speech, and how actually can we take our speaking <coughs> as a primary place of learning and development? And so it's been, been important for me for a very long time, even though I have a a great love of meditation and have spent quite a bit of my life on retreat. I've also had a, a strong interest in seeing how to make practice come alive in all the different parts of our lives. Really, no part left out. And speech plays this very crucial role. And we have a kind of uh, inheritance of some aspects of speech practice from classical Buddhist tradition. It's interesting when you reflect on it that, as many of you know, the practical path of development was called the Eightfold Path. 
the Noble Eightfold Path. And it listed eight different ways that we develop practically. Areas such as developing in clear seeing, in different aspects of wisdom, clarity of intention, uh, mindfulness, concentration, skillful effort in practice, but it also gave three that were more, three areas of the eight that were more having to do with everyday life. One was right livelihood. Another one was more or less following ethical guidelines, ethical behavior, living a life of integrity. And then a whole factor by itself was speech, sometimes called right speech or wise speech. And I always thought that was interesting. Sometimes I've had an image, everyone's just in the old days was just meditating, but if you read the text, they were actually being invited to dinner parties all the time, so to speak. <laughs> they were being invited to meals, and of course in meals there are all sorts of possibilities for unskillful speech, as we know. And so, uh, and they were also a community. They were, they, I think they were, they were being invited to live lives of mindfulness, but it was very much a life of interaction, interpersonal connection. And so speech was, interestingly, one of the areas named 2,500, 2,600 years ago. Isn't that interesting? You know, they were really focusing on speech. And one of the characteristics, which isn't always remembered of this uh, Eightfold Path, is that one of the characteristics is that all of the eight factors need to, as it were, inform each other. And so, skillful speech is informed by mindfulness and by wisdom. It's not an isolated training. These are all integrated. And so, that's, I think, the spirit that I'll be offering these uh, perspectives and practices today. Again, in the morning, more foundational practices, and then the application of those foundations to challenging and difficult circumstances in the afternoon while bringing in further perspectives. In a way, I'll be <coughs> integrating three main areas, which is uh, what I've been integrating very much in uh, retreats, that I've been helping to teach retreats on skillful speech and bring it into other, other aspects of teaching as well for about 10 years. And out of that have uh, developed kind of a curriculum. A lot of it is creative and innovative because what, as we'll see, what we find in the traditional teachings is valuable, but it's limited. And so what I'll be offering here really comes from three main ways to work with speech practice. The first that we get from the tradition, it's really the main resource that's there in the tradition, is a set of ethical guidelines that really direct how to speak skillfully. And they also are, their guidelines uh, like being truthful, I'll say more about them in a little while, being truthful, being helpful, coming from a kind heart, and also uh, having good timing. Buddha was always going around saying, how's your timing? 
How's your time? Because one can actually have wonderful things to say and have bad timing and, you know, it's a mess, right? We know that. And so uh, we have a set of ethical guidelines from the tradition that are very helpful and very helpful and a very good starting point for bringing uh, skillful speech into our own lives. And then a second area, which I've been, which has been more something that I've innovated, but I think it's kind of implicit in the traditional teachings, is how to develop mindfulness and a sense of presence in the midst of speaking. I think it's kind of implied, but I don't, I've never found any explicit instructions on how to do that. And so I'll be offering some of those instructions and some of, some of those to develop, take some time to develop, take some uh, continued practice. And then I'll also be bringing in a third area, which is what we especially develop in our retreats, where we integrate the ethical guidelines and mindfulness and heart practices like loving kindness uh, with uh, nonviolent communication. You know, probably many of you know that or have studied that, developed by Marshall Rosenberg and a lot of other people. How many of you have had some acquaintance with nonviolent communication? It's great. So we'll be, I'll be presenting some of the basics of that, particularly in the context of working with challenging or difficult speech situations, but I'll give a, 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 you know, an introduction for people who don't have that kind of background. And I'll be particularly emphasizing the practice of empathy, an empathic connection with another, as a skillful way to practice speech, both generally and in difficult circumstances. Okay? So that's the, that's the perspective. The, the structure of the day is this. We'll have basically four segments, two in the morning before lunch. Lunch will be about 12.15 and we'll have about an hour for lunch. And then come back at 1.15 and have two segments in the afternoon. Uh, the two segments in the morning will be divided by a uh, walking period, a period of walking meditation, because we'll continually have that balance of, which is very, very helpful for speech practice, of moving between more inner practice and then outer speech. It's actually a very, very good model that if we can bring that into our daily lives, of continually having that movement back and forth between some relative mindfulness, presence, non-distractedness on the one hand, and then engaging and speaking on the other. You know? And so it's, even if we, you know, maybe at work, can just take a bathroom break or something, or take a little bit of a break and come back to presence before an important meeting, really, really crucial. You know? That, that sense of coming into a conversation or a dialogue from a place of mindfulness and presence is really crucial. And I'll share one of the um, special practices that we've developed in the West, which is very helpful for skillful speech, which is called the bathroom break. 
You may be hearing it here for the first time. <laughs> when one is somewhat out of it or a little bit distracted or bothered or agitated, in any context, that, that's a social context, it's very helpful to take a break <clears throat> and go to the bathroom a lot if necessary. <laughs> It's very bad social etiquette to comment on how many times you've gone to the bathroom. <laughs> the, the larger point is that it's very helpful to have this cycle of moving between some coming back to presence and then engaging. And if you did, you know, if you did that actually methodically during a day, it would be a wonderful way to train if you think about it. And that, that is workable, right? You have to remember to do it. But maybe you could have a friend and compare notes and that back and forth is really, really crucial. So we'll do some of that today. We'll experience that, uh, that process in a way that you can uh, remember in doing that on your own. <clears throat> so in the retreats, we have a lot more material. I'm giving, I think, some of the essence of what, what, what we present in retreats probably in 30 or 35 hours of material. You know, we'll, I'll present that in you know, something like what we have here for a day long, you know, something like six hours or so of uh, uh, practice and offering of materials. So again, a little bit, maybe a little further about my own background. Um, I'm one of the Spirit Rock teachers, have been practicing since I was fairly young. Uh, just really connected with mindfulness practice uh, in my early 20s and have really uh, loved that practice and have found it also a really, a really good home to um, be creative and innovative in trying to see what makes uh, our practice come alive in, our, in, in the setting that we live in, you know, which we don't necessarily get from a monastic tradition. We get some really valuable resources, but there are a lot of things that we have to be innovative on. And so, as most of you know, there's this very beautiful and creative um, set of dialogues and investigations going on in which uh, people are exploring the connection of mindfulness with Western psychology, with science, with the nature of the brain, with speech practice, with how to bring <coughs> mindfulness and inner work into social engagement, responding to issues at community or even uh, national levels. You know, and all of this is happening in a very creative way. And my, my invitation is to be part of that uh, creative process yourself and investigate it. It's really, there's a lot of room for people to really make uh, really important contributions as you, as you contribute. So. Um, I think I've been working in some way with speech practice and teaching it probably for about 15 years. I remember when I was, um, you know, a longer time before that, maybe uh, over 25 years ago, I had a close friend uh, named Emily who was talking to me one day and she said, uh, I think I was called Donnie at that point. So. <laughs> So, Donnie, you don't really, you don't really follow right speech at all, you know. 
And whether she was employing right speech and saying that's another question. But, <laughs> but um, something, you know, it made me want to look at that because I and I when I looked carefully, I thought I thought that there was a lot of truth in what she said. That I wasn't always so careful in my speech or conscious in my speech, and it really began a an inquiry of how to bring mindfulness and wisdom and compassion and empathy into, into speech practice. Let me, uh, yeah, maybe I'll say one or two more things about my own background. Uh, one of the areas that I've been involved with, as some of you know, is that I've been involved with connecting inner work with uh, social engagement, you know, with work in the world, with social service, with social change work, and have uh, helped to develop uh, several training programs and have been in involved with uh, um, for about 15 years <coughs> with training programs. And out of that, a lot of this development of the speech practice occurred because it's such an important part of work in the world, right, to develop skillful speech. And, <coughs> and I've, I've also been very interested <clears throat> in the connection with uh, psychology and the nature of the brain and so forth. So I'll be bringing in these different perspectives as we, as we go through the day. And let me invite maybe right now uh, just a few uh, comments from you. I had asked people at the end of the meditation to reflect on your own intentions for the day. And I want to ask just a few people to to speak and see if you can articulate, see if you can right now articulate your, your intention in one sentence. So maybe just on your own, how would you articulate one of your intentions just in one sentence? So mostly so we can hear a few people so it doesn't get too long. So would anyone like to share uh, an intention for, for the day that you bring? Yeah, we have a few. Okay, please. And what we say your name too? My name is Catherine. Yeah. Just to be aware of what I'm saying. To be aware. Yeah, to be aware of what you're saying. To learn how to be more intentional with what I'm saying and more concise. More intentional and concise. And, and your name again? I'm sorry? Your name again? Laura. Laura, thank you. Yeah. Laura, yeah. yeah. Others, please. Please. I'd like to become more conscious as I'm speaking. I mm -hmm. find that the act of speaking can take me away from my consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that in the second part of the morning. It's, it's really, it's not easy, but there are some ways to train. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you Rumi, I think I've already actually got it going. So. Okay, no, I was just monitoring the volume. Oh, the monitoring the volume, okay, great. Yeah, learn how to communicate with people with different views, including political views. Very re obviously, very relevant at this time. Yeah. Hi. I, I'd like to become, or I'd like to practice 
being very present while speaking with people without becoming emotional myself. Yeah, being present and, and somewhat centered. And, and your name again? Oh, Laura. Laura, okay. Yeah. Uh, I like to learn to be less reactive. Less to be less reactive in speaking, yeah, yeah. And Kim, I, I'd like to learn how to engage people from different cultural backgrounds yeah. where they may have different assumptions and practices when it comes to speech. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're very crucial. It won't won't be a major emphasis here, but we can when it comes up we can we can go there. You know, if it comes up in some of the examples, or some of you want to bring examples or look in that way, it's not it's not a, it's a, cru a crucial focus, but not a main focus. I'm trying to do foundational, uh, just a few foundational skills. But let's let's bring that in as much as we can. Okay. Uh, I'd like to learn to um, constructively to uh, communicate constructively through conflict. Be, be, communicate constructively in conflict, yeah, yeah. Not easy, right? Um, and we'll have, we'll, I'll give, be giving a number of tools, perspectives, practices, and then we just have to keep practicing, right? Yeah, because I think you know that at, that at the end of today, you'll have some uh, tools, perspectives, practices, but you'll have to take them home and work on them, right? It's not going to be all done at the end of the day. <coughs> Although there might be major revelations. <laughs> so so it's not you're not going to be totally transformed at the end of the day. Does anyone want to leave? <laughs> okay, please, uh, a few more? Anyone else like to contribute? Yeah, here. I'm yeah. and um, I'd like to learn how to quiet or silence the inner voice while I am listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to listen, to be able to listen better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful themes, most of which will be part of the uh, the day. Yeah. Hi. Hi, my name is Charlie. Um, I'd like to, uh, when I'm listening, not listen defensively. Yeah. Um, look for fault. Um, do that with more empathy. <coughs> so not to listen defensively and have, have more empathy? Yeah. Okay, maybe one or two more? Anyone else like to add your voice? Okay. I would like to learn to express myself uh, authentically, clearly, with kindness. Yeah. Authentically, clearly, with kindness, yeah. Yeah, getting close to some of those guidelines almost, yeah. Please, maybe this will be the... Anyone else want to speak? And this will be the last one then, okay. I'd like to learn to become less sarcastic and more open and vulnerable in my communications. Yeah. And your name again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Less sarcastic, more vulnerable. Yeah. How many how many can relate to that one? How many can relate to most, if not all, of the suggestions? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're really a wonderful list, aren't they? 
I could reorganize my entire day based on just going through these. But they're actually, most of them, uh, most of them are, fit well within the framework. But please uh, bring in your stated intention, sometimes as a question or as a comment as we go through the day, to bring in that emphasis. Because some of them I'll remember, I, ha I wrote them down, and I'll bring them in myself, but feel free to bring them in at, at certain moments. Okay, like, uh, how do I, you know, how could I train to speak less sarcastically? What, what are some ways to move in that direction? And so forth, so. So I think we know very well that speech practice is incredibly important for our well-being. You know, that um, speech can, through a few words, sometimes bring tremendous sense of peace or uh, connection in a relationship or with, with, you know, for a person. And that just a few words can also trigger us very intensely. You know, a few words can end a 20-year relationship, you know, or lead to war. I think we know that, that speech has tremendous power, you know. One of the uh, sort of a humorous expression of this, one of my favorite uh, examples uh, comes from a New Yorker, New Yorker cartoon. And the, here's the image. There is a woman sitting on a couch. There's a man whom she's talking to who is standing up who looks like a police detective. Behind the couch, there is a police officer standing. Also behind the couch are two legs sticking out that look like they belong to a body that is lying behind the couch. The woman, in conversation with the police detective, says, he misspoke, I misheard, shots rang out. <laughs> Doesn't that say it? I mean, something like that happens quite frequently, not necessarily with the firearms, but with the verbal firearms, maybe. And so really, really crucial area, again, in both senses, that, that unskillful words can be very, very harmful, and skillful words can be incredibly healing. You know, and we can aspire, in a way, to speak, you know, as, as was said, with kindness, with, uh, with care, with compassion, and so forth. Uh, this is from a Tibetan Buddhist teacher from the end of the 19th century. Everything you say with your mouth, instead of being harmful to others, should be straightforward and kind. And the uh, great uh, Jewish rabbi, some of you know his name, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who marched with Dr. King. And he, he spoke of developing what he called holiness in words as an aspiration. 
and talked about speech that could be based on spiritual insight as what he called the accommodation of words to higher meanings. So these are kind of pointing to letting speech come from a different place or a place that we know some but that is not always um, operative. And so that can be that can be an aspiration. The materials that we'll look at, as I mentioned, come from three sources. And the first source is from the traditional teachings of the Buddha. And I think in our handout, we have what kind of a summary of one of those concise expressions of the Buddha's teaching. So if you look at the sheet on cultivating wise speech, some quotations. And did everyone get the uh, handouts? Do we have, where where are the rest of the handouts? Are they? Yeah. Well, they're not, we can get them later. They're not, they're not necessary right now. So as I mentioned, the main resource from the traditional teachings that we'll make use of today come from the identification of what I'm calling uh, ethical guidelines. In other words, behavioral guidelines that we can work with in our daily lives that both give us a way of directing how we act, how we live, how we behave, but that also point to areas that can be really helpful for our mindfulness practice. Now, I'll make some sense of the guidelines and then we'll do an exercise together exploring them, okay? So, you can see that um, from the first two quotations there, and the first quotation expresses the guidelines in terms of four qualities, and the second in terms of five, which, which I think can break down to four. So if you look at that second passage, it says a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. There's that emphasis on timeliness. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. 
it is spoken with a mind of goodwill. And you can see that the mind of goodwill and the affection are quite close together. So I've tended to frame these guidelines as four. Being truthful, being helpful, coming from a kind heart, and having good timing and certain appropriateness of the speech. Those are four areas. And these are wonderful guidelines to work with. I, I once worked with a group where we looked at these guidelines and worked with them for six months. You know, and you know, I had the guidelines um, written, I think they're still there, by my telephone on the wall. Someone would call, I would let it ring a few times. As it was ringing, I would say, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. <laughs> this, is, this is before there were, yeah, three quarters of the calls were from telemarketers. Uh, telemarketers, uh, speech practice is advanced practice. <laughs> of course, I guess many of us, we don't recognize the number, we don't answer it, right? You can, but they need, they need love and affection too, telemarketers. And, I, I once uh, lived next door to a telemarketer. And very difficult life. Anyway. Did anyone hear a telemarketer? Okay. Um, and so we, we, have the, we have these uh, four guidelines, and we can actually work with them, use them, you know, remember them before an interaction, telephone call, a meeting. Uh, one, uh, I for a number of years was part of a graduate school and we didn't always communicate so well with each other and we, so we uh, of course um, established a committee to see how we could speak better with each other and uh, I was a member of the committee and people really loved these four guidelines and the whole graduate, you know, gradu it was a small graduate school, you know, just about 25 faculty members, we adopted the guidelines and began and every meeting they asked me to name the guidelines and ensure you know and ask that they be followed and it changed the behavior of the group you can do that in a group context you can work with guidelines like that you can have agreements uh, it's one of the ways I'm not going to talk so much about implementation of speech practice in group settings although I have a fair amount of experience with that but we can again go there in the discussion if you want to, but that's one of, the way of implement, one of the ways of implementing this. So we actually had that, and some of the people who were, let's say, um, often seen as engaging in unskillful speech among our colleagues, they would sometimes preface what they had to say by, because we had the guidelines like on a, on a board written right at the front of the meeting hall, and we'd have them sitting right there, and people had to stare at them before they were going to say anything. And someone would say, looking at these guidelines, I'm not sure that I'm going to follow these guidelines, <laughs> but, and I think actually the guidelines help this person actually speak quite differently, right? So we can use it in a group context, you can use it, uh, in, you can use these individually, you can, uh, you know, one person before difficult conversations with her teenage daughter would write them on her hand as she was speaking. You know, would have them right there as she was speaking with her, with her daughter, and and so forth. So, they're, you know, they're straightforward in a way. Although each of them, you know, 
if you really were going, to, going into detail with them, there'd be subtleties of each of these. You know, what does it mean? You know, there'd be some subtle examples. For the most part, we know what it means to be truthful. And we can ask, am I being truthful? Because the guidelines are also very, very good to direct us to mindfulness when we notice that we're not following a particular guideline. Let's say I just had a conversation and I asked myself, was I truthful? And I say, pretty much. Was I helpful? And I say, I think so. Was I coming from a kind heart? Um, I don't think so. You know, it was just, you know, it was a little bit cold or maybe I was sarcastic or whatever. And we can actually, if we notice it in the moment or sometimes a little bit afterwards, we can do some mindfulness practice and ask what's there? You know, what's there? when I'm not following the guideline. When we follow the guidelines regularly, they become supports for mindfulness practice. And, you, and again, you can, you can uh, you know, practice with these guidelines in different ways. One way would be to work with one guideline for a week, a second guideline the second week, and so forth. And so you have that focus, and then bring them together. Right? Or you could you know, maybe work with all four of them if, if that feels appropriate, but you can actually take it on that's what we did in the six-month group. We worked with a guideline for a month and then would take notes, compare with each other and see how we were doing. But again, when you're doing that, the guidelines become supports for mindfulness when we seem to be violating a particular guideline or going against a guideline. And again, there, there are a lot of subtleties to the guidelines, you know, to be, when we talk about truthfulness, the main purpose there is to, is, to really ha is to really match our speech with our clarity of mind. And of course, truthfulness is really crucial for trust. And when people are not truthful, you can't really have much trust, whether in a, uh, you know, in a relationship or in a community or in a, you know, in a, in a government, right? In a, in a national on a national level, right? And, you know, and often governments often are not truthful. You know, that we know that, right? Uh, in all sorts of ways. So, you know, the, uh, in the book that I did, which is out on the table called The Engaged Spiritual Life, I have a lot of material on speech practice and then a fair amount on the application to both individual, pra to individual practice, to practice with others, interpersonal practice, and then bringing it into the larger social realm. And they're all quite, all these guidelines are very, very relevant. A lot of aspects of speech practice are very relevant in all these areas. So there are subtleties. When we look at being truthful, we, when we study it, we see that, well, we don't always necessarily tell overt lies, but we also, but we do sometimes, what? Uh, engage in speech that is, what, half-true, or we make omissions, or we exaggerate, and so forth. And so part of the inquiry here is just to notice our speech. And so for a lot of people, when we're first making an inventory of our speech like this, it can be a little bit shocking, as you can imagine, right? So we have to have... Uh, compassion practice and hold and give ourselves some slack. 
That's why it's actually helpful to do it with other people, so we know that what we're experiencing is fairly universal, that we all have these habits of often exaggerating, omitting, offering half-truths, and so forth, uh, exaggerations, as well as sometimes making uh, Mm. our speech have overt untruths, right? So we study that, and we look into it. And again, as we would explore this more deeply, if we as a group were looking at this for the next six months, which might be a nice idea. You know, it'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be it's actually, I, my favorite kind of teaching is actually where we do, where we work together for a period of time. Right? We sometimes do that after our retreats. We sometimes have follow-up groups that meet for the next uh, eight weeks or something, which you can really, really learn, learn well. And we'll, and, but we, we can see that there, there are a lot of subtleties. We can look at helpfulness and see, am I really being helpful? You know, for example, when, uh, <coughs> when I looked at my own speech practice, I found that I was weaker in some of the four and stronger in, in others. Particularly when I was trying to be very efficient and kind of use my time wisely, I often was truthful and helpful, but not always very warm or kind. I noticed that. Right? And I could notice that and say, let me bring a little more, come a little more, more from my heart, even when I'm trying to do things efficiently. Right? And so when we look at all these, we notice our own personal tendencies. <clears throat> we also can look at the quality of, am I coming from a kind heart? Am I coming from some basic warmth? And again, as was said in a lot of the statement of intentions, this is particularly difficult when we have a conflict. Right? How do I come from a kind heart in a conflict? What does that mean? And we'll look at that more in the afternoon, particularly through the lens of empathy. Because we can be empathic, although it's not easy, with someone with whom there's a conflict, and still be quite firm on what we need to say or do. We can set boundaries, we can say no, we can say, this is really important for me, etc. So, just to clear up a possible misunderstanding from the beginning, wise speech or skillful speech doesn't mean being nicey-nice, necessarily. Okay? Really crucial point. We might get that, we might have that misunderstanding, coming to something like this. This is not about just being nice and being a pushover. If you actually read the text of the Buddha, he was quite often giving very forceful speech to make a point, challenging people. And of course, it's more difficult to have that kind of challenging, setting boundaries, saying no, being in a conflictual situation. It's more challenging to have connection with one's heart there, right? We, we can acknowledge that that's difficult. Right? But it can be an aspiration. The aspiration is to have that kind heart all the time, like we have in our loving-kindness practice, where we have as part of our training and loving-kindness, we have training to develop loving-kindness with the so-called difficult person, as some of you know who've done training in some of the heart practices, right? So there are those subtleties like that, that uh, one can try to have a loving heart and still say difficult things that might be difficult for the other person. Just want to have that be quite clear. And then 
The last category is that of appropriateness or often you know, particularly good timing. You know, and it's very crucial uh, to ask that question, is this a good time to speak? Often we're, as you know, we may be compulsive about wanting to say something, right? We may really, oh, got to say it right now, and we don't actually look and ask the question, is this a good time? Is it a good time for the other person? Is it a good time for us, right? And so this is, this is, this, this is the first resource that we have. These guidelines, which are both suggestions for how we speak, construct our speaking, and also um, starting points for mindfulness and asking what's there, what's present in me when we don't exactly follow the guidelines. Very valuable set of resources. So um, I'm going to do an exercise now. Um, let me maybe just stop and ask, uh, are there any questions about the guidelines, um, Given some suggestions on how to use them, but let me take just take a few questions. Yeah, and we can use the mic. Yeah, and again, let's say our names. Serena. Yeah. I'm curious about um, both with, and not that I'm drawing a parallel, but both with children and, and perhaps with clients when truthfulness and kindness. Um, are at odds with each other? Yeah. Yeah, what happens when it seems like truthfulness, uh, kindness are at odds with each other? It, it really brings up the crucial point that these all have to go together. Yeah. And that we don't actually just engage in truthfulness without it being kind, helpful, and the right time. And so, uh, what that means is that if uh, we are not simply truthful in all circumstances, because that would not really necessarily be helpful or kind. And in fact, we know that we often use truthfulness as a kind of weapon. We sometimes call that dumping, or maybe have other words for it, right? That we we tell someone what the truth is without any consideration of helpfulness or kindness. So we always want to bring them all together. As I mentioned, we have to have them all together. We're missing one and the, the speech may not work well. It may lead to, to suffering, right? And so clearly with children or, you know, if one's in a teacher or a therapist or a doctor or something, then you always connect the uh, intention of truthfulness with the other ones. So, wonderful, wonderful question. Thanks. Yeah. Could um, you just elaborate a little more on time? On timeliness. Yeah, um, Yeah, what does it... I think it's part... Sometimes the Buddha, you would speak more generally of appropriateness of speech. Uh, is this both uh, a valuable kind of speech? Is it, does it really uh, um, helpful? Uh, and he was particularly critical of sort of distracted thinking, or you know, of just of people mindlessly chattering. You know. um, in, terms, in terms of uh, timeliness, I think it's really uh, mostly just to ask the question mostly just to ask the question, is this a good time? And so again, in terms, you know, for example, in terms of 
um, speaking with someone about something difficult, obviously one has to take into account other questions or other uh, dimensions other than I want to talk about it. And so we, and, and I think in part it would be a way of guarding against impulsiveness of speaking. I think that was, that was mentioned, I think, in the listing of intentions. So it, it really lets us connect our speaking with clarity of intention. And of course, our speaking is often quite impulsive. And this isn't really so much to make us like robots, like, you know, just overly ordered and so forth. I think there can still be a lot of spontaneity, but it's, it's at least asking that question, uh, is this a good time? And of, often, what do I want out of this? Or what are my intentions? I think timeliness can often go there. And it's again, particularly a questioning of overly impulsive, overly habitual types of talking that can uh, often not really respect where the other person's at. So it could, it could often be to, uh, in a, in with two people, just to check, is this a good time? Very, you know, a very simple mechanism to put this into practice would be to be in the habit of saying, is this a good time to talk? You know, or you, you know, many of us probably do that already. You call up someone, catch the person in the middle of the day, and maybe you want to have something to talk about, and you ask, <coughs> is this a good time to talk? You know, how, how many do some version of that? Right? I mean, it's courteous, right? Or you, you know, sometimes it could be to actually be precise about the length of time that you need to talk, right? And again, many of us probably do this all the time. Is this a good time to talk? I think what I have to talk about may take 10 or 15 minutes, right? Do you have the time right now, right? And that could be a way of unpacking some of this, to, to ask those questions. It's to be probably more collaborative than one way, and so forth. Yeah. So I think a lot of, see a lot of this is where I talk about the creativity. A lot of this, if, you, if I just say, take this and run with it, right? And we would report back in two weeks, there'd be amazing creativity with this group, right? If you really applied it, you would find all sorts of things that you learned, all sorts of things that you creatively developed, and we would have an enhanced culture of wise speech. Okay, anyone else before we do the exercise? Okay, helpful questions. Let's see, so the exercise begins by asking you to reflect. And it's to reflect on this question. How might I develop further in my wise speech practice? Or another way of saying it, what calls you right now in terms of how you might develop? And some of that came out in the questions.
know, if it's helpful to take a few notes, that's fine. Okay, raise your hand if you need a little more time. Okay, let's just take about 30 seconds more. in our first speech practice with a partner. Okay? So find a partner and this will be a fairly short exercise, about 10 minutes. But find a partner and if you can, move your cushion or chair so that you could face the person. Raise your hand if you need a partner. Okay, we have. So it looks like we have uh, an even number of people. Does everyone have a partner? So, okay, so um, everyone needs to stay for the rest of the day so we keep this even number. <laughs> or if people are going to leave, find someone else to leave with. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, okay. So the practice is going to be simple. We're starting out in a fairly simple way. The practice is, we're, and we're going to be, and we'll be doing a lot of exercises like this. In the exercises, we're typically going to have some content and we're also going to pay attention to the process. A lot of the training for speech practice will make a distinction between content and process. In other words, the content is uh, what we talk about, and the process is how we bring, how we implement some of the speech practices. Right? So in this case, the content is going to be what you just reflected on, that is, how you would like to develop in your speech practice. And the process is going to be that we follow either one of the guidelines or all four of them as we're speaking. The format is going to be like this. We're going to have each person is going to speak for maybe two and a half minutes or so. And I'll time, every, I'll time us. We'll speak, uh, one person will speak. The other person will just listen and find to, you know, make nonverbal communications. You don't have to be like stone face. You can sort of say, no, hmm, hmm. 
<laughs> oh yeah, yeah, whatever, however you do it, okay? And uh, so one person will speak, the other person will listen, and both of you will be trying to implement the guidelines of being truthful, helpful, um, come from a kind heart, and have good timing. Now we can assume that we got the timing down. Okay. <laughs> Don't have to pay so much attention to that. But, but you might even ask, you know, is it a good time to mention this, right? Maybe my answer has a few things, and you know, maybe there's something that's really, really dear and precious, and do I want to mention it here? And maybe some would say yes, and some might say not the right time, right? You know, that, that you can assess. And so, and then we'll switch, and the speaker becomes the listener, and the listener becomes speaker. And we'll see how our time is. We might also then do some informal speaking where you just talk about what you experienced, okay? So, and we'll be doing something like that. So you get the sense of the process, but probably a little more for the speaker. You'll, you'll take, see if you want to work with all four guidelines, or let's say the first three, truthful, helpful, good heart, or maybe just one of them. You know, you can see what you'd want to do. Maybe just, each of us will be a speaker. Why don't you think right now, do I want to work with just one of the guidelines and have that guide me just for the, you know, little less than 10 minutes that we're talking together? Or do I want to work with all, all the three of the, first three of the guidelines? You just see what, you know, either, either one's fine. Okay, and then uh, if you haven't already, introduce yourself to the person and decide who's going to go first. Okay? Someone, what? A few people who don't have any. Oh, um, why don't you? Uh, I can make copies and I'll make copies. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Okay, first of all, I just want to check does everyone have a partner? Okay, so you all, you all, okay. Okay, and you're clear who's going first. You know, as I sometimes like to say, every group needs one person going first. Yeah. Can you just clarify, are we talking about what we want to develop? Yeah. And, and then the, you're talking about the process, we should decide if we're focusing on one or yeah. four? Can you give examples of what, you know? Yeah, like, let's say, um, Adrian, why don't, why don't you, would you be willing to stand up and let's use the mic. Where is that wandering mic? Okay. We'll do a little bit of a, Adrian, would you be willing to do a little bit of a role play? And okay. so I'm the, I'm the listener, and uh, Adrian will be the speaker. And what, did you decide to work with all the first three guidelines or just one of them? I think all three. All three. So 
what, we, what she would do is before she starts speaking, I'll, I'll guide this and we have some time to set the intention. I'll have us like set the intention for 10 or 15 seconds. Just okay, I'm going to be truthful, helpful, come out of a good heart. You kind of stay with that. By the way, of course, this is something you can do before meetings, before important conversations, and so forth. Working with intention, crucial part of what we do all day. Taking some time to set intentions, okay? So she would set the intention, and I would set my intention, which is going to be primarily just, can I, can I be kind of, listen to her in a warm-hearted way, primarily as a listener, it will be primarily the, the, uh, the heartful quality, you know, although you can see if maybe there are ways of bringing in the others, but just listening without speaking, primarily just having a, you know, a receptive kind heart. And then, so let's set our, we set our intention. And then, why don't you just start speaking a little bit about how you would just do this if, okay? Right, so yeah. the quality that I, would like the intention to be while I'm speaking is one of patience mm. and um, slowing it down mm. a little bit. Because yeah. um, I feel like when I feel the need to respond, mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to respond quickly, be smart, uh, and sometimes when I do that, uh, I don't have time to really think about what I'm going to say or kind of read the other person yeah. as to what they want to yeah. hear. Okay. So you get the idea, right? So it's really sharing, and it's up to you to share how much, but thank you, Adrian, and then you can work with another intention when you actually do it if you want to. <laughs> 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 or the other person can say, oh, yes. I, so you get the idea, and I'm mostly just receptive, trying to listen, but I can also be open-hearted and some, and actually, when she was speaking, I heard that, and some of it, you know, you might resonate, so, oh yeah, that's, I know that one, right? So you kind of listen with an open heart, and then, you know, and then I'll time it, so, pretty clear? Okay. Any other questions before we do the exercise? Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll um, let me. Uh, yeah, I'll sound the gong at the end of the two minutes, okay? And I'll I'll basically guide the whole process in terms of timing. We'll we'll go through setting intention for ten or fifteen seconds, and then I'll ring the bell to start, and then I'll ring and I'll probably maybe a little bit before the end time I'll say fifteen more seconds or something like that, and then I'll ring the bell to finish. I think it'll just be about maybe two minutes or so, pretty pretty brief, okay? Any other questions? Two minutes for one person to talk and then two minutes for the other or two minutes for the Two minutes for one person to talk, then I'll ring a bell, and then I'll, you know, I'll invite you to switch, and then I'll go through the same process. I'll basically guide the whole thing, so you don't have to, you can just follow the, uh, you know, my timing. Anything else? Okay. Okay, so for both speaker and listener, Set your intention for this next two minutes, short period of time. Okay. 
About 15 more seconds. partner, whatever way you'd like. Now we'll, now we'll switch roles. Listener becomes speaker, speaker becomes listener. And we'll again start with a short period of setting intention. You can do that right now, about 10 or 15 seconds, just to set your intention as a speaker or listener to, as a speaker, to work with either one or the first three guidelines. Truthful, helpful, good heart. And as a listener, primarily to work with the kind of open-hearted listening. So do that right now and I'll ring the bell to start in about 15 seconds. No, don't, don't start until I ring the bell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. About 15 more seconds. So finish up and thank your partner whatever way you'd like.
And we'll do one more, one more part now. And that is to just talk informally for a short time, about three minutes, just talk informally with your partner about anything you noticed about the process. In other words, what, how did it make a difference, maybe, to work with the guidelines? Or anything else that you noticed about your speech in the two sessions that we've had so far? You really go where you want to go. You know. But particularly, did you notice something? Did it help to have the intention there? Did you forget the intention halfway through? <laughs> you know, whatever. Wherever you want to go. And we're going to have that discussion. That's the content. And the process, we're going to still work with the guidelines. Okay, so you got how we're doing this a lot of the day, right? We're going to continually work with both content and process because that's what's really necessary in our daily lives, right? What do we do most of the time? 100% on the content very often, right? right? And so we need training to be able to do both. Right? We're getting some training and we have to you know, keep it going. Okay? So we're going to do this for a short time, three minutes, just go where you want to go in terms of the content, but keep some of your attention on uh, working with the guidelines. Okay? And so again, you can either work with one of them or the first three. Okay, and we'll, everyone clear what we're doing now? Okay, ready to, so we'll, we'll again start with about uh, 15 seconds of intention, then I'll ring a bell to start, and I'll have about three minutes, a little longer than we've done. Okay, so set your intention.
Yeah, just inform it. About 15 seconds more. up and in whatever way you'd like thank your partner and come back to the whole group or striking from, from that, yeah. I just wanted to bring up what I was talking about with sitting there on, this, um, on these components. Uh, and it seemed to me that I'm getting to truthfulness and to be kind. And to a little closer, you know. Yeah. have the right intention, you know, when you're moving into this communication, wise communication. Truthfulness, kindness, helpfulness, all of those things. To that place sometimes requires a jump into uh, truthfulness without those components. But having set forth your intention fully in yourself is my is my situation. That when the conflict brought up the issue, then moving into that it would be kindness, truthfulness, and and service or helpfulness. So does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not always getting to truthfulness with all those components to the place you want to go because you have to get, there's another link to bring forth that communication with that other person where there may be a difficulty in communication. Another link meaning? Well, in other words, what is truthfulness? 
And if you have a relationship with someone and there is something, a dynamic going on with that person, then you're not getting to them. There's well, a difficulty yeah. in expression and in yeah. communication. And so to, to get to this place of loving kindness and truthfulness and communication, there has to be a, a, an igniting to bring it up to the surface. Are you saying that uh, in some relationships, uh, truthfulness is not always possible, that sometimes there has to be maybe some repair to the relationship or something has to occur before truthfulness is even practical? Absolutely, because yeah. I'll give the example that uh, the Christmas dinner table in which I said something and that brought forth an, a reaction, which yeah. brought forth a conflict which was a direct assertion to what I had said. And then that brought forth the truthfulness, the honesty, the um, kindness, all those things that were in my heart but couldn't really be expressed because the subject was not brought up until the conflict occurred. Yeah, yeah. So a few things based on that. Um, one of them is that uh, my encouragement is to train in these basic capacities in areas of your speaking which are not difficult and we're not where they're not these kind of conflicts it's a little bit like training we train in protected environments where we develop capacities and we don't train in the most uh, difficult ones so uh, that's one point that um, it's, we, it, we're not going to be able to bring the capacity, and this, this isn't a criticism of what you're saying, it's just really making uh, a related point, that um, we won't be able to bring these capacities into difficult circumstances unless we've developed them to where they're pretty strong, and that's generally going to happen where they're easier to develop. A really crucial point. So we kind of, a lot of us seem to, including myself, often you know, we only get interested in this topic when there are conflicts, right? And we say, okay, I'll just bring it to the conflict, but the capacity hasn't been developed. It's like any area of training, we have to work to develop it, where in protected environments where it's easy to develop, then we get stronger. Okay? That's a crucial point. Um, and then I think you're right, when we're in um, situations uh, that have some difficulty or conflict, often there are a lot of things that need to happen before we can manifest some of these qualities. I think a very good point, you know, to see that, you know, in some, I can't be truthful with this person until we talk about that which happened, right? And kind of work it out, or maybe there's an apology or whatever, you know. With difficult circumstances, um, we can't assume that truthfulness, helpfulness, and even good timing is going to be very easy or even very possible. Sometimes other things need to happen before we can have well-flowing speech with all these parameters. You know, it's, it's kind of obvious, you know, with, you know, like conflicts between countries or something, you know, where you look to that and just to have the, the preconditions where there can be easy speech often presumes a tremendous amount, right? Same thing with some situations in our lives. So it's always good to remember that, so thank you for
bringing up that point. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Michael. And what what I realized with my partner is that my truthfulness can get in the way of my kindness. Right, right. And so I have been known to become self-righteous in my in my thoughts. And because I want to be truthful and authentic about who I am, yeah. then I have to say them to you. Yeah. But they're not always kind. And so the blend of all four, I'm realizing the depth of, of that art. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, right? And, it, uh, and how many of us have habits like sometimes where we kind of, in the wish to be authentic, which is a, is a deep intention, maybe don't so much uh, pay attention to helpfulness for a good heart. Uh, yeah, so it's very, very common. So, yeah, and so this could, you know, hopefully, I mean, the, the uh, perspective is that if you train in this further, you can have that integration, right? That authenticity doesn't mean that one has to be out of one's heart. Of course, we, that would be tragic if that was the case, right? Yeah, please. Um, my name is Kristen. I notice in our communication that if there is a process, like we're having a crucial conversation of wanting to get from to state your intent yeah. and then back up and say where you are, where hard and be truthful, the it, the pro, that that is a process that the individual speaker needs to go through and needs to go through in the way they've thought it through mm -hmm. for them to fully communicate. But as a listener, I wanted to jump in along the way. Right. And so I think somehow there have to be boundaries set for both sides to understand the process and to give the other person that that time to fully express before we then have your own time to have that process. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you don't have a partner who's understanding the same kind of rules of the game, um, or you're you're so impulsive to want to jump in or help in, I mean, it's not always in a you know, defensive way, but sometimes to help or you know, say something, it can actually affect the outcome. That's right. So there, there are several, I think, quite important points there, just to highlight. One of them is that uh, we can be mindful about our own tendencies to want to jump in. How many notice something like that, right? So that, that's crucial, and that's very, a lot of this is really, this is where we connect the mindfulness with the skillful speech. We have, we're, we're tracking what's going on when we speak, and we notice habits, and some of them we might not feel great about, right? <laughs> right? And so we want to give ourselves slack, have compassion, but we may notice that wishing to jump in, wishing to say something, and we can again uh, just ask, what's good timing? So that's one we can ask that to ourselves, and we may want to experiment and not, you know, in one conversation, not follow all those tendencies, right? And see what that's like. Because this is really partly exploration and experimentation. You know, it's not like there's a right answer for how you should jump in or not. Um, and the other point that, that's interesting is that in a relationship or in maybe a group, or a work team, you may want to have some guidelines that either spontaneous or sometimes more um, 
almost uh, more forming kind of uh, group agreements, you know, about, uh, you know, about procedures which maybe help to give room for people to, to have enough time to speak, right? And so, you know, sometimes probably many or most of you have been in groups where maybe you have a check-in and each person has a certain amount of time. And you know, time can be used quite skillfully in group settings and communication. You know, sometimes, how many of you have been in groups where people did check-ins and had no agreements about timing? Um, that can lead to problems. I remember one workshop I was in, this was the extreme, it was like a weekend workshop, and uh, on Sunday morning, we were finishing like at 3 p.m. on Sunday. Sunday morning, maybe, I don't know, 9.30 or 10, we started. And we started with check-ins for the day. But they were not, um, there was no timing of them. Some people really got into it. And we didn't finish with the check-ins until lunch. <laughs> then we had lunch. But by that time, when we came back, it was time for check-outs. <laughs> <laughs> for the whole weekend, right? So it was, it was I mean, was, I'm making a little bit of fun of it, because that, that, that would be, you know, that could be a Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live skit for workshops in California, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, it was valuable material, but it was a little bit humorous as to how that happened. So having actually time limits can be skillful, right? And, and, and so forth, or just, just say, you know, could you let me speak uh, enough so I really say what I have to say before you jump in. Sometimes, again, you have to know the relationship, but these are all, can be skillful aspects of group uh, dynamics, speaking, and so forth. So, yeah, did you have something to add there? No, you, no? Okay. it's gonna be a follow-on question, you answered it. So. Yeah, very good. So, as you develop um, skillful speech, you also develop psychic powers. <laughs> One of the things that came up for me is that these are difficult to do unless you have a certain amount of equanimity. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you don't have a lot of equanimity. Yeah. I would imagine many of us feel that way. So it feels a little bit like a tall order. So when, when I feel as though I'm starting to get more and more agitated, I notice that I then want to get. I have an agenda yeah. in a conversation, even yeah. if I'm listening, yeah. primarily that's going to happen. So, yeah. um, and so how to kind of develop equanimity within the context of speech. Yeah, yeah. so great question, and also just great noticing of your own tendencies. And in, in part, it points to part of the response, which is that the skillful speech, ideally, is integrated with our development of mindfulness, with our development of heart practice, really integrated with the other ways that we train, right? That's ideal. And in part, that would be to, you know, in part we train to develop more equanimity. So partly the answer is just continue your training, and as you train more in mindfulness and equanimity, you'll, you'll, you'll develop better in coming back to balance and equanimity when you're a little reactive or agitated or whatever. So that's, so partly, part, so you can see how the speech practice gets totally integrated with our mindfulness practice and with our 
just our skillful work, how do I work with difficult emotions, right? We're not covering that, but if we were doing like a year-long curriculum where we went every day, we would want to have part of our curriculum, how do you train to work with difficult emotions, right? Because to your point, if, we're, if I'm caught up in a difficult emotion, I might not have much access to skillful speech, even though I have it at other times, right? And so it really, again, it points to the earlier uh, theme that if we keep training where there, it's not such a difficult situation, we will be more available in difficult situations. That's the other aspect. Right? Okay. Thank you. Maybe I'll just do two more, and I think then we'll, we'll have a little walking period. Yeah, please. Um, one of the challenges I find is what you bring of yourself to that conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you've been raised in a certain role, say a female, you're used to anticipating or trying to anticipate what is expected of you. Yeah. So that genuineness gets suppressed at some point. Yeah. Also culturally, if yeah. you're from certain cultures or you're, you're engaging with someone or the power dynamic of that yeah. impedes upon how you can act upon this many times. Am I, am I anticipating? Do I understand? Have I offended? Right. Right. So there's all those dynamics going on at the same time, whether it's a gender role, whether it's a cultural role, or whether it's a power dynamic within the relationship itself. Yeah. Yeah, so, so thank you for, for naming that. Again, we can relate it to the earlier question about uh, cultural dimensions and really uh, connect it with the, you know, with the, we could say, the social and cultural conditioning around speech that we all have, right? And again, it's not a major focus today. It would be maybe if we did more time together. Uh, but we, wanna, we want to notice that. And, we, the, uh, I think the model that we're mostly working with for the training is that of uh, more symmetrical relationships. And I think when we look to difficulties in the afternoon, I think we may name some of the challenges that come when you have uh, asymmetrical relationships in terms of power, right? Which, which isn't necessarily a bad thing by itself. You know, we have, asymmetries of power in parenting or in teaching, right? There's an asymmetry of power right now in a certain way. I have more chances to speak than you do, right? And you've more or less agreed to that contract without signing it, <laughs> or something like that. So, uh, but I think noticing our own tendencies related to conditioning seems really, really crucial. In group settings, these are really, really crucial to notice the distortions that might come from conditioning and the, you know, how does, how to, how to handle power. So again, mostly going in depth in that is beyond the scope of what I have intended for today, but really crucial, you know, crucial to, to look at that, to see do I have tendencies related to gender that, you know, make me, I have conditioning to be a helper or whatever, you know, or to, um, you know, to uh, act in a certain way. And, you know, it's actually when we get to empathy in the afternoon, we'll see actually that the research in empathy shows that there actually are major gender differences in terms of empathy, which, which are interesting, right? That's that uh, women tend to be more empathic than men. And it seems like you can't totally ascribe it to conditioning. 
some of it seems to be possibly you know something that's happened over evolution for generations you know so obviously a lot of its conditioning so there are complexities here right and but we want to look at that so part of part of uh, looking at my habits of speech would be to see, ask questions like you know are these habits connected with social conditioning or the roles that I'm in or the cultural conditioning I've had and so forth so there's a lot there right? thank you and we had one, one more, uh, was that, uh, yeah, remind me of your name again? What's your name again? Yeah. Anne. Anne, that's right. So my question is basically a follow-up to hers and to what you just said, so I don't know if there's more to add, but yeah. um, I worked for many years in a large organization yeah. that uh, did not follow any of these rules, yeah. and it was very challenging for me to communicate at meetings. Um, yeah. And in, in that set, setting of, uh, it wasn't like the graduate school year in where everybody read the same set of rules and wrote them up on a board and everybody tried to follow them. Yeah. Um, so that's part one. And then part two is just uh, an extension of that is that we're living in a, uh, this is my perception, a political climate at the national level where these rules are not being followed at all. And that too, I think, certainly has had an impact on me yeah. in terms of the, uh, how to behave on a daily interpersonal social level. I was wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the first point, um, yeah, how many of you have been in organizations which have had some kind of uh, skillful speech or communication guidelines? So that's that's great. That is a that's about twenty percent, right? That's significant, right? Uh, that they exist, uh, you know. And how many of you have, have had all sorts of experience in organizations of unskillful speech and no real way to deal with it? Yeah. So look around, right? So that's that's true to a large extent. We don't, you know, that could be an aspiration for each of us. When I I was able to bring some of my work on skillful speech into this organization, it had an impact, right? We each can do that. You have to be skillful in getting there, <laughs> right? Right. But um, you know, part of um, social and cultural change might be to be much more conscious about communication, about working with conflict, and so forth. There are a whole set of trainings that you know uh, some organizations I think are looking to develop. In you know, Spirit Rock had me and my colleague Oren Sofer worked with the staff around skillful speech about seven or eight years ago over a course of several months. There was the aspiration for this organization to be better developed in that way. And we could name a variety of trainings related to speech and communication, skillful work with conflict, various aspects of diversity, cultural dimensions like we've talked about. I think the organization of the future, so to speak, would have all of that in place. Right? And some of us may be able to bring that further into the organizations. I wasn't intending to speak so much about organizations, but it's come up. Yeah, so I think that, uh, and that could be also the case in families or in partnerships or in you know, work teams or whatever, you know, that we can try to say, do we need some further structure to help us 
be more skillful, collaborative, and so forth. And then, um, yeah, in terms of the national climate, I mean, I wrote, I did the writing in that book that I did called The Engaged Spiritual Life, which I had a lot on skillful speech. I did that, uh, I did that, I wrote that book during the George W. Bush administration, towards the latter part of that administration. And I had plenty of examples of ways that skillful speech were not operative at the national level, you know. And I, and I, I don't want to be particularly partisan in my comments here, you know, but because I think that there are problems, you know, across the board. But yeah, yeah, I mean, what happened? How do we relate to a national scene where uh, truthfulness, you know, I think, you know, there are many people who are talking about a post-truth post environment, right? And that's, uh, uh, what can I say? Um, what? And compassion and empathy and so forth. These are, and we, we saw empathy and kindness lacking again, I would say, with both the major candidates at times. I would say with the Republican candidate more, but it was not absent from the Democratic candidate, you know, the basket of deplorables and so forth, right? and some other things that were not very, you know, probably regretted, but still there. So how do we, how do we relate to that? That's, that's a kind of a co-op. We've been looking, you know, there's some interesting questions that we could ask, like how do I maintain a sense of truthfulness and kindness in a society where those are not upheld. You know? I don't think there are easy answers to that. But, you know, I like to think that uh, working personally in one's relationships, organizationally and in communities is clearly part of the answer. Because right? these, these values are not, as we saw, not, they're not widespread in organizations with people who think they might be wanting to be truthful and, and come out of a good heart. They're not necessarily manifest there. So, let alone at other levels, so, um, yeah. I mean, we probably could could uh, take that one and go for a while, <laughs> and you know, maybe maybe if you some of you want to do that, or we'll see if that comes up again. That's a big issue. Right? How do you relate in a national scene where where one's values are not necessarily shared? Right? And again, I'm not making that as a partisan comment. Sorry to go into the walking meditation a little bit of a down note, <laughs> for some of us at least. Um, okay, um, so this is the first uh, set of resources and perspectives, okay? We're going to have several of these. We've done the first one, which is the use particularly of the guidelines. And again, we could train exclusively in that for three months and it would be very profitable. Right, so I'm going to come back at the end of the day and suggest what the next steps are. The handout that I gave you has the listing of the guidelines. It also has some sample exercises or ways to take it further. Okay, they're written down. You can follow up like that. I'll just I'll say more about this later, but the best way to do this is really to have, you know, if you don't have a group, have one or two people that you can be like buddies with. You know, maybe there's someone here you want to connect with and you'll stay connected. Maybe you came with a, a friend or a colleague and you can continue uh, 
and can can work like that together because really if you know, people of strong intention and will can do it on your own it's usually more helpful to do it with another person or a group and can kind of compare notes okay so that's the first we've completed the first uh, group of resources perspectives and you can see how you can bring that into your practice right I'm going to suggest that you not try to do everything we do today all the time when you go home but do it in a way where you maybe do one thing at a time and develop that, get it stronger, and then move on to the next thing. Okay? So let's take, um, let's take just a, sh a little shorter break. I, this went on a little further, uh, but had good energy than I had intended. Let's just do like a short, about a 10-minute break if you want to use the bathroom, do a little bit of walking. Let's do this in silence. And uh, come back, uh, maybe uh, ring the bell just in about five minutes or so. Okay, we'll come back and we'll go on to the next segment in about ten minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.